This is Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals. Here you will meet and learn from channel experts who share their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, channel chief and adventure seeker, Rob Spee. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to Channel Journeys. This is Rob Spee, your host and channel enthusiast. Thank you so much for listening. I know I took a two-month holiday from podcasting, but now I am refreshed. I'm fired up to kick off a fall season with interviews with some excellent guests. And I've got some big news to share with you as well, but I'm going to save that for the next episode. You're going to have to hang on. This is episode 75, the 75th episode of Channel Journeys, which kind of seems like a special number to me. And summer is over, at least for those of us living north of the equator. So I'm going to do something special. Uh, Well, at least for me. Hopefully you will enjoy it too. I got a lot of positive feedback on episode 60, where I shared the story of my sailing adventure from St. Thomas to Newport. Over the summer, I had the, the great fortune of going on another blue water sailing trip, this time sailing from Bermuda to Long Island, New York. So today, I'm going to share what it was like to sail through what's called the Bermuda High during a low in COVID. That was just before we got hit again with the Delta variant. Are you ready for some sailing fun? Let's go. I've fallen in love with blue water open ocean sailing, and this year, I was so fortunate to get a cruise slot on a return sail from Bermuda back to Long Island, New York. The slot really wasn't there, and then it opened up at the last minute, so I jumped on it. The 775-mile trip is really only a two-hour flight, but by sailboat, it can take anywhere from four to seven days, depending on the boat and the weather. There there are racing boats that probably do it in three days, but most boats are going to take five, six, seven days. There are no stops along the way. It's just nothing but open ocean from Bermuda to New York City, so there's nowhere to stop. A lot can happen out on that ocean, too, and this trip was filled with a lot of drama and uncertainty, and that was just in the effort to get to the boat itself. Here's what happened. The Bermuda Health Ministry kept changing their COVID entry restrictions, so just getting there was a moving target. The week of my planned flight The same week, they changed the rules again, suggesting that I'd have to quarantine in a hotel for 14 days before I could board the boat. And I was landing just uh, a day before we planned to take off on the boat. So despite multiple phone calls to their health ministry, I just couldn't get a definite answer on, on how to make this work. But Some told me I would not be allowed to go to the boat before the 14 days ended, and and others said, don't worry, you'll you'll make it. It's not going to be a problem. And uh, I just didn't have two weeks to waste sitting there waiting for the boat, and I would have missed the boat anyway if I tried. So I went ahead and went for it. I filed my negative COVID test results on their website. I printed my entry forms. I boarded the flight with my fingers crossed, and I arrived. I got to the airport, and that's when the the real adventure started. Um, It was such a gauntlet. Just getting through the airport, it took me almost three hours of waiting in lines, having multiple people scan and check all my entry documents, uh, getting a swab up my nose for another COVID test. And then they escort me onto a bus um, with another uh, crew member, Ruth. She and I are going through this together. And we have a nice ride across the island and find a surprisingly beautiful quarantined hotel right on the beach, fantastic view of the ocean. So it's kind of hard to complain at that point. And I get a great night's sleep, which I know is going to be my last one for the next five or six days. 
So that was Sunday. The next morning, it's Monday. Ruth and I, uh, we take a walk. We want to stretch our legs. So we start walking into the capital city of Hamilton to check it out. What a beautiful city, right on the water, super friendly and welcoming people. They definitely made me want to come back again and and see more of the island uh, once all of this COVID nonsense is all behind us. But uh, we have a great time in the morning, and after so much drama and fear of not being able to go on the trip, it's such a huge relief when we finally get to take a cab over to the customs dock on the other side of the island by the airport, St. George's uh, Harbor, and we board avocation our 48-foot swan sailboat that we're going to be sailing on. I had a fantastic sail on avocation just two years earlier on a trip I did with Captain Hank, and we sailed from St. Martin to Dominica. And I had sailed with a captain for this Bermuda adventure, Tanya Abbey, on last year's trip that I talked about, the one from St. Thomas to Newport, Rhode Island. And Tanya, if you recall, she's a celebrity in sailing circles. She was the youngest woman to circumnavigate the globe on a sailboat when she was only 18. And she wrote a captivating book. I highly recommend it called Maiden Voyage. So I was super comfortable just hopping on this boat and heading out to sea, sailing with Captain Tanya on a boat that I knew and and trusted that was super seaworthy. So we stow our gear, Tanya grabs our passports and gets us checked out of customs, and within less than an hour, we are motoring away from the dock in St. George's Harbor. Now, to get out of the harbor, you have to go through a narrow cut past Gates Fort that was built by the British back in the early 1600s when Bermuda was discovered. It is so cool. You're looking out past the cut in the sea, looking out east. There's nothing but 3,300 miles of ocean between you and Bermuda and Morocco. And we motor about an hour east because you've got to get past all of these reefs that you don't want to hit. So you've got to motor past the reefs before you can turn north. And then comes my favorite moment. We turn off the engine, we raise the mainsail, we unfurl the jib. And there's that blissful sound of sailing, just the water and the wind. It's so peaceful and wonderful. And now we're headed north. We are headed to New York City. We have got five crew on the boat. So Tanya, she sets up a watch schedule, posts it on the wall, and it shows us all of our uh, watch times. And we are on a three hours on, four and a half hours off schedule. So you're up in the cockpit on for three hours. The first hour and a half, you're at the helm. You're steering the boat. The second hour and a, second hour and a half, you're like a co-pilot. You're, you're helping the helmsman, whatever he needs. And then you have four and a half hours to, to sleep, rest, eat, whatever. I'm, I'm the first one on watch. So we start the watch schedule at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Bermuda, I think, is already out of sight by now. And, and the seas are pretty gentle. It's a nice day. Winds are blowing about 10 knots out of the east. And we're sailing sailing northwest, really, on a heading of 330 degrees. Now, we're going to be crossing the Gulf Stream three or four days into the journey. And and the Gulf Stream can get really wild. I've been out there when you have strong northeast winds. Then the winds are running against the current of the the Gulf Stream, which flows north. And so you don't want to be out in the Gulf Stream any longer than you have to be. So Tanya's plotted a course to uh, get us to the point that's forecasted to be the narrowest section of the Gulf Stream because she wants to minimize the time it takes us to cross it. So that's our heading to get us to that point. After about an hour and a half at the helm, that's my my watch, I've now got to start my hour and a half as co-pilot, and I let one of my crewmates, uh, who's also named Rob, we call him, I call him Rob 2, he takes the helm. So Rob 2 is always up, uh, and he's my co-pilot. He's always up after I take the helm for the rest of the journey uh, based on our watch schedule. 
then one of the funniest things happens. Helms, uh, Ruth, she's in the cockpit with us. Everybody's out in the cockpit because we're all excited and we're having fun uh, on the first day. And Ruth mentions, man, I'd really like to see a whale. And I think it was less than 30 minutes later, this huge whale leaps out of the water behind us and it puts on a show. It's just breaching over and over and over. So that was the running joke. Whatever Ruth wants, Ruth gets. You know, it's, it's really hard to get to sleep, though, on the first day. There's so much excitement um, being out on the water, but you really do need your rest. Our first sunset of the voyage, it's another gorgeous one. Um, I've seen so many beautiful sunsets, and I, I never, it never ceases to amaze me how pretty they are. Um, and we have our first dinner, a uh, pretty easy one to make the first night. We have frozen pizza, but it's still pretty tasty out there on the water. Um, it's so nice out on deck, but I have to force myself to go down to my bunk and try to get some rest because you want You got to get some sleep. And I know I'm going to be back on watch at 1.30 a.m. Um, so I go down. I, I try to sleep. It's hard that first day, but I get a little bit of rest. Ruth comes down. She wakes me up uh, at 1.15 a.m. That gives me a few minutes to get ready for my watch. My, that starts at 1.30. And going up on deck... I'm just greeted by this incredible display of stars and planets. The Milky Way is super bright. And I got to say, I love night watches. It used to scare me thinking about sailing at night, but now I love night watches, especially when the stars are out like that. It's, it's not nearly as much fun when it's just pitch black due to cloud cover, and I'll have some of that coming up in this journey. But this night is super clear, and it's so fun watching the different stars and planets as they move across the sky. And soon after taking the helm, I'm treated to this golden moon rising over the, the ocean horizon. And, and you, you never see a moon rise unless you're out on that open ocean and see it come up over the horizon like that. The wind, is, it's still coming out of the east, pretty gentle. In fact, it's actually dying down as we expected. I, we knew this was coming. So weather forecasting is, is super important for sailing. And it is advanced so far that it's taken a lot of the, the guesswork and danger out of ocean sailing. You can pay professional weather forecasting companies to do this for you, but there are free apps. And I have one on my phone called Windy that gives me a 10-day forecast for wind, rain, waves, temperature, air temperature, sea temperature, just about everything else you need. And if I had a satellite connection, I could get that forecasted updated every day, which I don't. Um, but I, I download that. I have a 10-day view, and I know what's coming. Wendy also allows me to compare the U.S. forecast model with the European model, um, and they have uh, different accuracies, so it's really cool to compare that. And it's pretty accurate for the first three to five days, which is, you know, we're going to be out there five or six. So I know it'll cover me for the most of the trip, and I have a really good view of what the first three days are going to look like. Now, Tanya, Captain Tanya, she does have a satellite connection. She's getting daily updates because she's the captain. She wants to know exactly what's coming. So what Wendy told me, the app Wendy, was that we would be sailing into the Bermuda High on our second day. Now, the Bermuda High, that's a high-pressure zone, and it actually moves around Bermuda. It's, it's not just sitting right over Bermuda all the time. It can be above, below, left or right, or on top of Bermuda, depending on the wind patterns. And we knew from the forecast that it was going to be north of Bermuda and that we would be approaching it with easterly winds. And as we move into the Bermuda High, this high-pressure zone, we're going to get to a point where we have zero wind. It's going to be a lull. Um, and then as we move out of the move north and move out of the, the Bermuda High, we know the wind's going to clock around and come out of the southwest and gradually start increasing to about 20 or 30 knots by Thursday or Friday. So we knew what to expect, and, and uh, it was really cool how that's kind of exactly what 
happens, as you're going to hear. So Avocation, our 48-foot swan, she sails great, even under light winds, and we, we manage to keep sailing all night and past sunrise, but by mid-morning, the sails are starting to flap, and it's time to fire up the engine. We're, we're in that Bermuda high. I'm expecting a day, at least a day of motor sailing, which I don't really love, but at least it allows us to get a few naps in between watches. You start getting into the ocean sailing rhythm. We're waking up. I, I wake up to a, a really delicious dinner of uh, that Tanya made, breaded, breaded chicken, rice, salad. Um, even simple things taste so good out on the water. And I've got a night watch from 9 p.m. to midnight. Um, and again, it's just a super clear night. Um, one of the planets, I'm not sure if it was Jupiter or Saturn, it's rising up over the horizon and it's so bright, it, it casts this light beam over the ocean like a giant flashlight. It was the coolest thing. And most nights, you, you tend to have at least a few clouds sitting on the horizon, so you don't see stars all the way down to the horizon. But tonight, it's just perfectly clear all the way around us. And the, the stars are brighter even than the night before. They're visible all the way down to the horizon, 360 degrees around the boat. In fact, at one point, I, I thought I saw a boat off the west on the horizon, but then I realized it's actually Mars that's setting, and it was so bright, I, I thought it was the light from another boat. We didn't see many boats out there. Wednesday morning, I'm waking up. It's uh, I'm waking up for my 4 a.m. watch, and I can tell the wind has shifted now, which was expected, right? My bunk is on the port or left side of the boat, and the boat is now heeling over to starboard. Before, when the wind was coming out of the west, it was heeling over the opposite direction, over to the port side. But now it's heeling over to the starboard, and I'm almost rolling out of my bunk. And going up to the cockpit to take the helm, I found that we have now unfurled the jib. We're motor sailing now. Uh, we've got about five knots of wind out of the southwest, and we are now heading out of the Bermuda High. So we got that confirmation. And um, when I get up for the 4.30 a.m. watch, I get to see another beautiful sunrise. That's always great timing. It, one thing nice about the watch schedule is it's not consistent. You're not on the midnight watch every day. It, it moves. It shifts because it's... Uh, the way it works out. So that's nice. You, you get to start your watch on different times of day and night. So um, I see the beautiful sunrise. Now, you know I like to fish. So one of my first chores is to put up my hand fishing line of hopes of catching some sushi on this trip. My last sailing expedition, uh, I caught a tuna, but I didn't get it on board. So I'm, I'm, I'm committed and uh, everyone's counting on me to catch a fish on this trip. Unfortunately, that day, all I'm catching is yellow sargasso seaweed, and sometimes I think I've got a really big fish on the hook. I'm trying to pull it in. It's super hard to pull it in, and then I find it's just a giant clump of that, that yellow seaweed. So uh, Rob's up there, Rob too. He and I are snacking on coffee and ginger snaps in the morning, waiting for the rest of the crew to wake up. Uh, when the weather's so calm, it gives us a little bit more time to rest, read, think about eating, and it's also a lot easier to cook when the boat isn't bouncing up and down. So when the others get up, Ruth, Tanya, and I, we go down in the, in the galley and we're preparing a, a really fun breakfast of avocado toast and egg sandwiches with honeydew melons. So we got a little bit fancy. Now, if you're in absolutely no hurry, you can drift through the highs, the, the doldrums, and not burn any fuel. But that can get a bit tedious, and, and we did have a schedule that we kind of had to keep to. And uh, we didn't want to wait forever for the wind. So we've been motor, motor sailing, motoring and motor sailing. Um, but that does burn up your limited fuel supply. And after motoring all day and night, our first tank of diesel is empty. Our second, we only have two tanks, our second tank is half empty. But we brought a bunch of extra fuel in jerry cans that are stored in the anchor locker on the bow. 
And so we use those cans to refill the tanks while the wind is still light and there's not a lot of movement because otherwise you're going to be sloshing diesel all around. You don't want to do that. So now that we've got the, all the fuel out of the jerry cans, uh, we know that we have about two days of fuel left, but we also know the wind's going to be picking up. So we're not too concerned about running out of, the fuel, out of fuel. And Tanya, she started looking at the tides on the East River in New York City because she doesn't want to want to get there when the tide is coming out. You don't want to fight those tides. We need to get there at either noon or midnight to ride the tide in. So she's thinking about that, got us thinking about that in, uh, in our sailing plans. One of the other things I love about crewing on ocean sailing adventures is, is getting to meet the other crew members. And we all share a love of sailing, but we do come from very different backgrounds. And it's, it's so fun hearing about those backgrounds. I mentioned Ruth. She's a soon-to-retire school teacher. Um, Rob, too, is, a, is an ocean sailing veteran from Texas. Who He has a funny story. He owns his own boat. It's a catamaran that he bought years ago to fix up. But it's been sitting in his backyard, and he has never sailed it, ever. Uh, he prefers sailing with Tanya and Hank, the owner of Offshore Passage Opportunities, uh, who puts these trips together. So he's done a lot of these ocean trips with Tanya and Hank, but uh, has never sailed his own boat. There's Nikolai, who grew up in Belarus, um, but now lives in Connecticut. He got into sailing by buying a 34-foot sailboat and taught himself how to sail. And I had some really fascinating conversations with Nikolai. He was at the helm uh, just before me, so I would come up and, and chat with him. And uh, we talked about growing up in Belarus, really under the pressure of, of communism uh, that created really a, a sense of fear, I think, a uh, amongst a lot of people, they did a lot to destroy the the culture in Belarus. We talked about that, um, and talking about growing up with the lack of many things um, that we grew up with. And I remember asking him if if he had a BB gun growing up, and he said, "Yeah, we sure." But we had to make them ourselves. They didn't have them on the shelves that they could buy, so he made a BB gun out of an old bicycle pump. Uh, the fifth crewmate is Lee. Lee's a videographer who's also expecting to retire soon, and he wants to sail away with his wife if he can find a boat to buy. But uh, with COVID, boats and bikes and everything else recreational are in very short supply, and, and prices are pretty high. Well, by now, the wind is starting to pick up, and, and by mid-afternoon, we've now cut the engine completely. We're sailing again, got 10 knots of wind out of the southwest. And by my evening watch, wind has picked up to 20 knots, which is awesome. Things are really starting to get exciting. And I have to pinch myself. I'm there at the helm, sailing with 20 knots of wind, beautiful ocean. Literally, I'm sailing right into the sunset. Um, when I go down uh, later, I've got some rocking and rolling in my bunk. Things are getting a little bit wilder. Um, but I'm back at the helm before sunrise. Thursday morning, the waves have, have really picked up. Nice size waves. We've got 30-knot wind gusts now. And this is the kind of ocean sailing that I, I really love. I'm getting up to nine knots of boat speed. Though Nikolai, he tells me he got over 10. He and I, I think we're in a little bit of a competition on this one. And that was after taking down the main completely, and we're only running with like 30% of the jib. So very little sail, and yet we're still getting almost 9, 10 knots of speed with 30 knots of wind gusts. But we've got to enjoy it while it lasts. Tanya's latest forecast tells us the wind's going to die down over the next 24 hours, and it's expected to actually clock around to the northeast by Saturday. So we know that uh, some more change is coming, and change is kind of a constant when you're out there. It's always fun to see other life out on the ocean. You know, we don't see many boats, so it's fun. Everyone's kind of eagerly looking for different things. We see birds flying hundreds of miles from land. Uh, one day, we almost hit a small sea turtle. 
who's just floating around in the Sargasso seaweed. Uh, several giant manta rays passed right by us one day. I actually thought they, it was a shark at first because the, the wing tip was sticking up like a shark fin, but it were these giant manta rays. Um, and one day a small pod of out dolphins came out to play in our wake. That's something that you always look forward to. I'm still not able to catch anything more than seaweed, however, on my hand fishing line. So still striking out with the fishing. Meanwhile, Tanya, she's been debating whether to head to New York City as planned uh, where we would get into the Long Island Sound. We're going to, to have to get into the Sound to get to Huntington. Um, so you can go two ways. You can go through New York up the East River, or you can go to the northern end of Long Island, to Montauk. And she's thinking, well, maybe it'd be better to go to Montauk. So she's talking about that, and um, we're crossing our fingers that we will continue going to New York City, because I think we're all, I know I am, pretty excited to, to see New York City by boat. So we're hoping that, that that's the way we're going to go. And when I wake up from a nap, she's made her decision. And with the forecast showing even stronger winds out of the Northeast, if we were to go to Montauk, we'd be headed straight into that wind going in that direction. So she says, nope, let's go to New York City as planned. And we should be get, getting there by midnight uh, when we arrive, which is just perfect timing for the incoming tide. So I'm very pleased with that decision. The sailing got the most exciting Thursday night into Friday morning, though. I rolled out of my bunk for my 1.30 a.m. watch, throw on my clothes. I've got to secure my life jacket and safety harness. Then the boat is pitching so much, it's leaned over so hard. I've got to use handrails in the night to to work my way from my cabin through the salon and, and galley up into the cockpit. There I find Nikolai in the helm. He's in his weather gear, foul weather gear. And he's, he tells me he has wind gusts over 37 knots. And just 10 minutes after waking up, I'm now in control of this eight-ton sailboat sailing through the darkness, huge waves rolling and crashing all around us, lightning is flashing off in the distance. The only light I can see, really, because clouds are now blocking the moon and the stars, otherwise it's pitch black, five other people are counting on me to keep us safe and keep the boat upright. And it is a challenge. It's a challenge keeping avocation on course with all this wave action. We're heeled over. I've got all the weight really on my right foot as I try to, to keep us uh, keep the helm, keep control of the helm and keep the boat going. And I've got really wild course swings <laughs> and, because it's hard. You're, you're swinging back and forth. But I'm, I'm, over time, I'm really able to reduce those course swings from 40 degrees off course in either direction to really only about 5 or 10 degrees uh, off course. So... I'm really feeling the pressure, too, because I've got to keep us on course because I don't want Tanya, Captain Tanya, popping up her head um, and telling me, reminding me again that the course is 333 degrees, not 270 or 360 because she's down below. She can see uh, and she's paying attention. So I really want to keep us going, keep, keep us on course. Fortunately, though, soon I have it under control and I really immerse myself in the moment because um, it's such a cool moment. Even though you're hurtling through sea and space, I've got complete faith in God. I've got complete faith that the boat uh, is secure, and uh, I know that no harm is going to come our way. I just, I don't know. You just, you're just in the moment, and even despite everything that's going on, you just have total confidence that you're, you're in good shape. But as they say, it is darkest before dawn, and despite my great faith, it's still a wonderful feeling to see the skies start to lighten well before the sun rises. Friday is our last day of ocean sailing, and I think we're all getting eager to arrive, but also a bit sad to see our trip soon coming to an end. We have a wonderful last day of sailing with winds ranging from 13 to 19 knots. 
Ruth is the first one to spot land, land ho. Uh, It's the Atlantic Highlands of New Jersey that we spot first, around 7 p.m. on Friday. The wind is is dying down the closer we get to land, and eventually we have to lower the sails and fire up the engine on our way towards the Verrazano Bridge. And just out of pure luck, I'm at the helm at midnight as we motor under the bridge into the upper New York City Bay. And just as the weather forecast predicted, the wind is now blowing out of the northeast, so we're heading right into it, and it is a cold wind. We are winding our way around huge cargo ships, tugboats. We pass the Statue of Liberty, which was a pretty fitting sight, uh, arriving on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, One day later, we would have seen the fireworks. As we pass under the Brooklyn Bridge, we see two party boats with music blasting even at 2 a.m., And the excitement of arriving at New York City all lit up. I mean, it's just got so much action. It's incredible. You've you've been out there, uh, one from Bermuda, which is pretty quiet, and then out in the ocean where there's there's nothing else happening. But now we there's all this the lights and sounds and excitement of New York City. It almost makes me forget how cold I am standing at the helm. Rob too, the other Rob, he's so cold he forgoes his time at the helm. He lets me stay at the helm. He goes down below for a nap. But I stay up. I'm so excited. I want to experience the journey. And Tanya is navigating. She's telling me which way to go, left or right. We get to Hellgate, which is an infamously treacherous intersection of the East River and the Harlem River. There we we turn east, and we pass Rikers Island, where we see the lights of the famous New York prison. By the time we motor under the Whitestone and Throg's Neck bridges, I'm just totally exhausted. I'm too cold. So I finally relent. I give up my position at the helm, and it's, it's so nice to retreat down into my warm bunk. It's about 3.30 in the morning now, and I got to go down and get a little rest. Around 6 a.m., I wake up and force myself out of my warm cocoon. I find Captain Tanya and the entire crew all up in the cockpit for the final few hours of the voyage. Everyone is, is bundled up having exchanged the warm tropical seas of Bermuda for dark and stormy Long Island Sound. But all too quickly, we are motoring into Huntington Bay. We find Captain Hank waving at us from the dock. Uh, So we get docked. We have warm showers. Then Hank takes us over to, to a restaurant, TJ's, for hot coffee and omelets. But soon everyone is saying their goodbyes and heading home. I don't, though. I I stay for one more night with Rob, too. We both spend one more night on the boat, and then we head out the next day, sharing a ride over to JFK Airport for our flights home. And flying home, I think about what a fantastic voyage this has been, sailing with such a a competent, confident, yet easygoing captain. There's no screaming when things go wrong, just, just just enough impatience to make us want to try even harder. And on the flight before landing back in Atlanta, I'm already dreaming of that next ocean adventure. Okay, that's my story of sailing the Bermuda High. I hope you enjoyed it. Perhaps I've got you considering an ocean sailing adventure? Well, maybe not. Most people think I'm crazy to enjoy being out there in the open wild ocean. Either way, though, thank you for listening. We will be back next week when I've got a new channel podcast and some exciting news to share with you. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.